Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Hello, titular PhD student Daniel Underwood here. There comes a time in uh, the life of all podcasts where technical recording issues uh, hamper the uh, podcast experience, and... Episode 19, that time has come for a PhD student reads. Um, I have, if you may notice whilst listening, that my voice changes quite a lot, as if it was recorded on different days, or strange things are happening. That is because it was recorded on different days. I, there were major issues with my recording, and so I've done my best to salvage what I can, re-record some bits, and just generally put a show together. Um... I think I've done that, but I'll leave that to your judgment. Thank you for putting up with this. Um, On with the show. Roll credits. Hello and welcome to A PhD Student Reads, episode 19. I am the titular PhD student, Daniel Underwood, and joining me, as always, the busiest man in Canada right now, the butter between the layers, Rodrigo Cocting. <laughs> there was a slight bit of concern. I've got butter between the layers written down here on my uh, notepad, how it might go down in, in real life. I think if you, it's the delivery, you know, you sounded convincing, so we're on board. Well, there, there we go. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, summer is uh, dwindling towards its end here, and that kind of motivated my pick for this month, so I'm excited to chat about it. And I am excited to hear about it. Uh, like, share, subscribe, rate the show, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it is you do on, on any podcast platform of your choice. And there is a new podcast platform in which you, you may choose. Amazon Music, Pierce Student Reads, is now on Amazon Music this very second. Uh, and in the everyone's favourite monthly returning segment, this is episode 19, and thus, if the podcast was a human being in uh, the province of Ontario, the, PhD, uh, the podcast would indeed be allowed to drink right now at the age of, of 19. It could finally drink. There is yeah. the concern that this, uh, this, this segment is going to become more... And more yeah, difficult as time true. progresses. There's always a slight concern. What can you do at 20 years of age that you can't do at, at any other year? But alas, yeah. we shall cross that bridge when we come to it. This is a review slash synopsis discussion based show. So be warned for, for spoilers for uh, older books. I mean, mine are... Uh, from 2014, 2015. So. I think mine is also around there. Mm-hmm. Let me do a quick check. 2014. So, uh, so yeah, that's a PhD yeah, reads. Follow the show on Twitter old. at PhD reads. I know there are more of you that listen to the show than follow the show on Twitter. So, get out there and click that that uh, that follow button. And all you new people listening on Amazon Music, you can uh, go and and do that too. But on the topic of spoilers. It's another month in 2021, and thus the MCU train keeps on rolling with both Marvel's What If and Shang-Chi. Rodrigo, have you seen them, and what do you think? 
I have not started uh, What If yet. I find that Netflix uh, and its binge setup has ruined me for TV shows in that I am impatient. And so I am waiting for it to be done and then I will give it a watch. I am fully caught up with like all the other uh, Marvel shows. I watched Loki, which was I enjoyed it. And I did see Shang-Chi, actually. I saw it on Thursday. Uh, the actor for Shang-Chi, Simu Liu, he is from Mississauga, which is a city outside of Toronto, which is where I live. I, I feel like, I don't know if I, I ever specifically mentioned it. I think sometimes for uh, the ease of people who live outside of Canada, like people that uh, live in Mississauga, in our, the neighboring cities of like Oakville, Brampton, we all just call ourselves the GTA, which is the greater Toronto area. But Simu Liu, the actor, he's actually from Mississauga. He's a hometown hero. So I went I went on Thursday. Uh, and yeah, I was kind of hoping that maybe he would show up because I went to like the, th- the big theater where he would go if he went to a theater in Mississauga. He did not, unfortunately. And after watching it? I enjoyed it. Um, I think my expectation going in is I wanted it to be very much like a wuxia film with like really good martial arts. Uh, and it delivered on that. I do think like the third act, much like the third act of Black Widow, was a lot more reliant on kind of like the big Marvel CGI thing. But I didn't mind it as much, I think. Like in Black Widow, I think there was like a big drop between like the 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 Jason Bourne feel of the first two acts and then like the Marvel feel of the third act where in this mm-hmm. one I think it was like a high level consistently throughout. I think it had a lot more humor than I expected. Like I think yeah. I uh I audibly laughed uh, you know which is I I usually give a joke a smile which is good enough for me but this one was like actual laughter so that was solid. I think uh you know this is a spoiler for a, a new movie it's not a major spoiler but a spoiler nonetheless the return of uh Ben Kingsley was a welcome addition and I th- I think really tied that whole story nicely and with a little bow. I don't think Marvel is that worried about spoilers there's been pictures of Ben Kingsley uh, all over Instagram and uh, and such but I would agree that uh, uh you know he he you know I appreciate how Shang-Chi it tied all the things about uh about uh, the Mandarin and whatnot together. What's his name? Guy Pierce from Iron Man Three gets the yeah, briefest of mentions. It's definitely one of the better uh, MCU origin mm-hmm. films, probably maybe since Phase One. Although I am, I'd say, quite a, a Doctor Strange defender. Although a lot of people put that uh, in the uh, in the middle of the pack of the uh, yeah. the, the the wider. MCU mm-hmm. uh, consensus, but I would actually agree it's most one of the most visually interesting of the MCU films. Yeah, the third act, a third act, I would agree. You know, has you know Marvel film isms, but it is a Marvel film, so you know it's not too much of a surprise. And what they do there, you know, it's it's a bit different to um, to 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 what's going on. Um, but yeah, well worth a watch, I would say. And the thing leaving uh, the uh, the cinema, it did make me think just quite how disappointing uh, Netflix's Iron Fist uh, series yeah, was uh, way back in the day. I mean, I, I understand that, that uh, you know, one one's a film and one is a Netflix show, but Netflix have plenty of money to put behind such projects, and Iron Fist wasn't good, not even close. 
and with their kind of like multiverse situation that they have going on with Spider-Man and, and you know I don't know if you've seen the trailer that is is confirming that it's bringing in all I think like the 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 worst kept secret ever about the Spider-Man movie is basically confirmed to be true at this point with like you know the Spider-Man and so it's like if they did want to say bring in like a Charlie Cox as Daredevil they could do that and then not necessarily have to bring an Iron Fist because it could just be a different universe and you know what I mean like they they've they've opened the door nicely for that to be able to pick and choose what they want to hand over um yeah i mean in general it's like i'm a big fan of iron fist but i do remember when the the casting and the show was happening there was a lot of conversation about like should a white dude be the one that's like carrying the power of iron fist and being like the martial arts expert and i mean i don't know what the answer is but it's like i do know that ultimately like whoever wants to guide that conversation that you know i'm happy like i i don't feel like my uh, affinity for denny rand or iron fist the the hero has very little to do with his race so if they were to change his race i'm i'm indifferent and it's not as if you know these people are real i mean denny rand it's like the eternals you know they're oh, they're, yeah, they're sure. swapping like around the the eternals yeah. <laughs> and people are all all up in mm-hmm. a fuss about oh Oh, they've changed this one from a man to a woman. I mean, yeah, and it's like Macari, I don't think anyone the, should the care. Who... You know, these aren't uh, documentaries based on real people; they are comic book films based on fictional people. Yeah, and... Macari, that's like the fast one that I think is is a woman. Now it's like I struggle, and I've read like a fair amount of Eternals. It's like I struggle to 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 think of like one major arc that that character has had that could not be had with it being a different gender right like i the, it is generally indifferent like even even very uh, superficially like you could almost argue that like thena who ends up like uh hooking up with a lot of these uh deviant leaders like that's kind of her thing where it's kind of like this romeo and juliet between the eternal and the deviants like i guess you could maybe say that you would have to change both their gender and the sexual orientation of the character but i think the story would still be the same but it's like even with makari it's like i can't think of a single thing that would change with the with the gender change yeah and on the on the, on the subject of both the eternals and shang chi i think the fact that uh, shang chi is different i mean you know it shares similarities but it's different yeah. enough from the uh, bog standard Marvel film, I think it highlights that Marvel movies, you know, they've been going on for so long now in the MCU that they now do have the capacity to change and it's been doing pretty well financially. So I think people, you know, they trust Mm -hmm. Kevin Feige, I guess, and are willing to accept that superhero films are changing and hopefully that might even uh, convince some naysayers of certain directors and such that uh you know yes there are a lot of superhero films but they can be different and the fact that eternals is coming up directed by an oscar winner um and looks very different it uh you know i think i mean before the, these movies started coming out like the one that i was most excited for and it still am even though i really love shang chi is eternal so i'm hoping that it will deliver there's hope for the future of the MCU, and I highly, <laughs> highly doubt that it's yeah, going to be I mean, bad. it'll be fun. I, I'm certain of it. Speaking of fun, we mentioned it earlier. Um, the new Spider-Man trailer is out, and boy, are people up in arms about a man's arms and thinking that perhaps Charlie Cox may be making an appearance as uh, Daredevil. 
I mean, on the one hand, the man has some like uh, I want I don't want to say hairy because that's not what they are, but it's like he has some recognizable uh, body hair arms, right? And so I think it's cool that people are doing that. But on the other hand, it's like it seems like that person in the trailer is aggre- like providing an aggressive energy towards uh, Peter Parker, and I don't I think it feels more like a cop confronting. A suspect than a lawyer uh, confronting their their client, right? So I don't know. I I think some people maybe are being very optimistic and hopeful, and I kind of hope for it too. But I don't think like logic is telling me that it's probably a cop and not a lawyer. And I think you know, I'm not blind, so perhaps I'm totally wrong. But I feel like the gift of sight is needed to require to slam your hands down yeah. on a a table. I mean, he's right. Daredevil. And while Dare- Matt Murder could 100% do it, he would like to pretend that he could not do it, right? So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't think it is, but we'll see. I do think that he's probably in the movie, though. I think, like, the, the rumors of him and the, like, Toby and Andrew Garfield being in this movie came out all at roughly the same time. And yeah. the other, I mean, they haven't confirmed them yet, but it's like, you know, you're going to bring in Alfred Molina, Doc Ock, you're probably going to bring in Andrew Garfield, sorry, uh, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, right? So we'll see. And there is that bit where he is standing, as towards the end of the trailer, where Doc Ock appears and he's standing on top of the car and he is dressed like Tobey Maguire, dressed back in those Sam Raimi films. And we are well aware now that uh, Marvel, you know, they will perform some CGI trickery to to make people believe certain things in the trailer that aren't in the film at all. Yeah, kind of like the Hulk running mm-hmm. as, as the Hulk, but then really being in the Hulkbuster yes, suit. exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of the trailer is editing them out for now. Uh, I don't know why at this point. Like, I'm guessing they'll have one last trailer before the movie and, and yeah, where they will reveal them. Because, again, it's like the worst kept secret at this point. <laughs> like, I, I don't think anyone is in doubt that they are going to show up. And I was quite surprised that Willem Dafoe and Jamie Foxx weren't in the trailer. There was that very low-res leaked trailer that that came out that wasn't the official trailer that appeared appeared on YouTube. It was, you know, there was hints that it was them, but they made no... No, no, no appearance. You know what? I saw the leaked trailer, and then I was like, "This is like garbage quality." I'm, j- I, I'm just gonna wait for the real trailer, and then I forgot that, like, yeah, the the absence of, of Jamie Fox and so on. Yeah, but I mean, like at this point, they're a hundred percent in. I'm sure, like. There's no. De- I remember Andrew Garfield tried denying it at some point, like early on, and I was just like, "We'll see," because it's like it's basic Marvel. You know, I can't confirm mm-hmm. that I'm in this yet, but it's, <laughs> you could tell that it was real. Yeah, and I mean, I think we can both agree, uh, both Andrew Garfield and especially Tobey Maguire, they aren't the the uh, busiest folks in the business, and I'm sure that big. Disney paycheck will uh, yeah. help, help convince them to get back in the suit. And, and Andrew Garfield was pretty vocal about being bummed out about like his Spider-Man not continued. Like I think he was a fan. I think like you know Charlie Cox too actually was very vocal about being like feeling bummed out that his Daredevil wasn't continued. So it's kind of cool to give them that chance to, you know, like I don't know how it ends, but there could potentially I guess be stories for him in the future, right? Yeah, as this uh, multiversal MCU future is coming around, the X-Men are getting closer and closer to to finding a way in somehow. I don't know. I don't. It's like I'm the biggest X-Men fan, but I always feel such hesitation about their introduction into this Marvel universe because it's like 
either they have been here all this time and done nothing in a very confusing way, unlike the Eternals, which is like in the trailer, they kind of already say, you know, we were told not to get involved unless there was deviance, but it's like for the X-Men to not get involved is already weird. But then for the X-Men to work, you also have to set up a place where they are victims of discrimination. And in this uh, universe that we have, like how would the average citizen differentiate between like Wanda or, you know, a mutant. And then I guess Wanda is a mutant. That's a bad example, but I guess like in this universe, perhaps she's not, but you know, like, I don't know about the uh, power power of the the loki's mindset exactly so like maybe like an eternal and a mutant right or like one of those like like why would they hate mutants but not the other people and if that doesn't work then there's already questions and then it's like if you introduce them net new then you're like so far behind into the story that i would one day want to see that that stresses me out too so it's like i don't know what the right way to do this is uh i guess we'll just have to wait and see we'll have to bring in some really awful looking like the real mutant mutants like like maggot and beast yeah like really ugly yeah (laughs) and it's like here's the thing i also enjoy like the really ugly mutant and it's like you know even within the x-men how come only the beautiful mutants are on the team but then you have like grant morrison's beak or whatever and so on but it's like i don't know like i think I think bringing uh, is bringing the mutants into the main Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be like a very, very difficult needle to thread. And I trust the people in charge to do it the right way. But it's like, I don't have that vision of what that answer should be. No, nor I. But I hope I hope we do get some uh, more comic accurate X-Men costumes uh, mm-hmm. in, in the MCU. That'd be nice. The, uh, the yellow and blue Wolverine costume or the, well, yellow and blue... Uh, oh, Cyclops costume. Even the the white, like the nineties X Men cartoon white Storm Storm costume. I would be all up for that. And speaking of animated shows, to pivot back to to um, What If for for a brief moment. Just, I know you haven't watched it, but this is my brief opinion. I think it's mm-hmm. it's okay. It's you know, I forget that it airs, which probably says something about the quality of the show and the episodes they flip-flop between being just good and acceptable and some of the voice acting isn't great especially from the more i guess those less less experienced in voice acting sebastian stan springs to mind i mean i'm not surprised by that i wouldn't want to discredit sebastian stan I mean, I'm sure I, I haven't seen it, but it's like rather I would say that I think voice actors are not giving their due are not given their due. Usually, it's like it's a part, mm-hmm. it's a specific skill that voice actors have, and you know, like there was a, a, a gaming company recently that sent out a tweet saying like they were hiring for voice actors for their uh, for their new game, and they're gonna they put out the amount that they're gonna pay, so it's like very legit, right? But like they put out the scripts and like what they expect, and just you know for fun, I was like let's see what this is like. And so I tried a variation of things and it's like, yeah, this is hard. This is like way harder than I thought. Like, first of all, sometimes when I start my sentences, it's kind of like in a very low register of voice that was, is very hard to understand. So it's like, even like finding the right, uh, the right, uh, I guess like volume of your voice that you want to use and then making it distinct enough from your own voice. Like all of it is, is impressive. And, and I think uh, people underestimate how hard it is to do voice acting work. And I think 
this is kind of to throw back to another previous rant that I had on my on the movie podcast, Layered Butter. It's like I I think Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are great actors. I think the for like La La Land, the musical, it requires like musical actors, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're that. And I think like we very often think things are interchangeable or are like that's fine you know we'll do this lesser product but we'll attach a big name and then the final product isn't as good i would say i think in uh, in what if it sounds i mean i'm sure it was made in these current covid times but it just sounds like you know people they would see say their lines in uh, complete isolation mm-hmm. and that you know it comes up people are having a conversation but it sounds like they you know <laughs> are not having a conversation they are just talking but this is a uh, comic book review oh i was just gonna say the last one was a a doctor strange one right yeah can i tell you my current theory i haven't been watching i just but i see the teasers i think they're all gonna show up like an avengers team i don't know if that's an episode i don't know if that's an upcoming movie but it's like they've been saying in the beginning Mm -hmm. how it's like the what if is part of the marvel cinematic universe and i'm like in a in a story where you tell random ass stories why would you go out of your way to point that out and then it came to me one night as i was lying down i was like oh they're probably gonna avengers they're like captain carter and doctor strange Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know who else i think it was like uh, what if Black Panther was Star Lord, right? Yep, or something that's one like of them. That. Yeah, like, so I think I, that's my my theory, but we'll see. I mean, from what I've seen of What If, that you know that could totally happen, and I could be what I'm about to say could be an absolute lie. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like each story is taking yeah. place in its own individual <laughs> reality, and I mean. At the end of the Doctor Strange one, it would be a bit unlikely that he is to appear again, but. Again, the Watcher is there, Uwatu, you know, he could, if he's watching all these things, if some Kang, perhaps some uh, multidimensional villain that the MCU is now teasing mm-hmm. is to show up, you know, I suppose it's well within the realms of uh, possibility that he could draw these people out from their respective universes of putting them together. That being said, they haven't said that they are in different u- in uh, different universes. That's just the vibe that I've been getting, <laughs> that these are all... You know, one universe has got Peggy Carter's Catchman Girl. A different universe has got this more vampiric mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. One of them is uh, Star Lord T'Challa. So, but perhaps this is all taking place right around the corner from right. one another. And I and I uh, just just missed that when uh, when watching it. I found it, as I said, it's okay. And I do find that some of the plots are a bit a bit thin, and uh, you know. <sighs> I find it hard to uh, to uh, to uh, forget what what has happened. Not hard to forget, hard to remember what has happened. But this is a comic book uh, a comic book review discussion reading based show. It's a PhD student reads, not a PhD student watches. And, reads and watches. Um, well, let's let's get into comic books. Um, Rodrigo, you teased an autumnal based comic book. Please tell us about it. <laughs> yeah. I would not go as far as say autumnal. It is called This One Summer, but it does, as the book ends, the summer ends, which is why I think it's like perfectly captured for now. Uh, this One Summer is written by Mariko Tamaki, and the art is handled by uh, her cousin, Jillian Tamaki. And it's really just like a two-woman show here. Like, they handle everything. Um, if you Google the art, you can see that it is... Uh, you know, pencils and, and inked and kind of colored in, in this, these variations of like blue and purple. Mm-hmm. So I, I, 
I think there's not necessarily a super need to go beyond that. Uh, Mariko Tamaki, Jillian Tamaki, they are both Canadian. They both right. grew up in, I think Mariko, the writer, grew up in Ontario. Uh, sorry, but in Toronto, they both grew up in Ontario, and I think Jillian, the cousin, grew up in Ottawa. Now, for people that don't know, and this will make more sense as we start digging into the book, there is... I don't want to call it a tradition, but there is, uh, I guess, and I'm sure this is common in other countries. I'm just telling you that it's very, that uh, it's not uncommon for the Canadian experience to be reflected in this, even if also other countries do it. But um, Canada is a country that is very seasonal, right? Like the seasons are very marked. There's a clear, distinct difference between like a winter and a fall and a spring and a summer. Mm -hmm. And so when summer starts right around uh, the May 2-4 weekend, as we call it here, which is, I believe, Victoria Day. Uh, I don't know if that's celebrated in other Commonwealth countries or that's a specifically Canadian homage to the Queen. But around Victoria Days is when, e even though I don't think it's officially summer, is like when the Canadian summer begins. And people go up to what we call cottage country. So uh, the border between Canada and the U.S. Uh, in the uh, for the province of Ontario is uh, separated mostly by the five Great Lakes, which you have may have seen on your map. Um, that's where the majority of the the big urban centers are. Like cities are kind of based around that. Like you know you have Toronto, Hamilton, um, uh, Mississauga, Oakville, and so on. Like all these cities are around the lake. So what people often do as summer begins is they all head north into what we call cottage country. Often families have a cottage that they've shared with like, you know, you know, say maybe their cousin so and so on. Um, a cottage, I think, is also what you is probably the word used in, in the UK to describe these kind of places. I think in, in the US, something would be more like a cabin, uh, but a cottage is what we call it here. Um, and so it's like these little older, simpler homes that are on the lake and people go up and they go into these towns that are really only active for the summer. And then they stay there often throughout the summer until the Labor Day weekend, which kind of isn't officially the end of the summer, but it's the end of like the Canadian summer. So people start closing up their cottages on that weekend and then drive back. And, you know, there are the people that go up during the winter for a different set of activities, but it's a different, you know, like the, the main thing that you see in Canada is people like people that are stuck all year long in these very dense urban centers then going up during the summer for uh, for these trips to cottage country. And that's kind of where this one summer is based on, you know, like that's that's right. the idea that, you know, as a Canadian, you kind of know inherently, but maybe as somebody else, like you, you read this and you're a little confused as to why they're traveling and so on. Anyways, it starts off in this Awago beach, which is a fictional um a fictional town that 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 is created by by the right by the creators but it's meant to be similar to muskoka which is a specific region in ontario rose is our main character she's a a young girl that's driving up to to their cottage and they make it there and you know they quickly settle in we get like a good sense uh, of the characters like rose is kind of caught in between this world where she's she used to be a young girl and even though she's still young and is still a girl she's kind of thinking about new things whether that be like you know 
crushes on boys or you know menstruation or sex and like these things are all coming to her mind she has what you know we call a summer friend which is like you know when you go up to these little towns and you know maybe you live in toronto and they live in somewhere else but like everybody goes up to this muskoka region and so she has a, a little friend who she calls wendy and she's like a little bit younger than her so she's like a little she's about like a year and a half older than than wendy but you know they, they're starting to catch up and you know find out what they were doing shortly before they headed up to to the cottage country and you can start seeing like little differences in in how they interpret the things that start happening around their town you know like i said rose is kind of caught in this place between um you know being i guess like a young girl interested in in things that that girls were and starting to to explore and be interested in things that maybe uh women do like you know more often uh you know have adult conversations you know find a a different type of movie more enticing you know like the she she rents like an r film for violence and (laughs) she's kind of trying to move away from like the animated features that happened before and the backdrop of all of this like you know we we find out that rose's family has been struggling for a while they've been trying to have a kid and that's kind of the amount that rose understands and there's a lot of tension there like you can immediately tell that despite being in this vacation area uh rose's mom is not like in a relaxed state and uh there's a lot of um just like unease between the father and the mother throughout Mm -hmm. this time and rose can kind of pick up with that pick up you know some of that without fully understanding what's happening she she starts remembering you know the last time that her mom seemed happy up there and she remembers some scenes where they're like picking up some rocks and talking about how you know when they were they wanted to have uh rose as a child like they they were there and you know like at one point she was as small as a tiny little pebble and so she's kind of trying to understand her mom through that perspective of of memory almost um as the summer continues she she meets this this store uh i guess like clerk uh named duncan and he lives in that town and you know there's this really cool thing where uh the 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 tamaki creators mariko and jillian they set up a clear distinction between the people that kind of go there as an escape and have like this idyllic life that they're hoping for themselves and then the people who live there in that town Mm -hmm. right like that they the 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 summer ends for on the labor day weekend and then they all leave but the other people are still there and that's where they set up their lives and you know, their homes are not like these fancy vacation homes that you have to set up for the six months of the year. That's like they, they have like these other types of homes that they live in throughout the year. And so it's very interesting to see how, you know, Duncan and his group of friends and that are a little bit older even than Rose have a different lifestyle than the one that Rose or Wendy have as they visit visit the town. Um as they're interacting, like Rose starts keep picking up things as, you know, like guys calling girls sluts or, or stuff like that. And that's kind of, it, it becomes like a big part of it because uh, Rose develops a crush on this, this, this store clerk, Duncan, who in turn has a relationship with uh, an indigenous woman, uh, Jenny. And, you know, that's like another thing that's very Canadian is is this distinct reality that indigenous people in our country live and versus the one like the the the, the more affluent, like upper class, mostly Caucasian people mm-hmm. um, end up having when they go to these towns. And so 
you know that it's a lot of like uh, it's almost like a study in in a Canadian existence, which hits really close to home as the the as the the story progresses. Uh, the tension between Rosa's parents escalates and explodes into a point where uh, the father ends up saying that he has to drive back to the city for some work stuff, and so right. Rose <clears throat> ends up staying up in, in cottage country with his her her mom that she kind of blames for the dad leaving and you know again of the two parents it always seems like the mom is not the one that's more i guess determined or wanting to have fun in 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 the beach town and so you know there's a bit of resentment there and she starts spending more time with with uh you know her, her friend and her 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 friend's mom and and grandma as they continue kind of trying to learn more about duncan and where he may live and what he may do um the book it's it's very interesting to see Rose compare uh, Jenny, who is the girlfriend of of Duncan, the store clerk that she's into, and also the mom. And in this way, where as she starts growing older, just through this interaction with the town and hearing and what she thinks she's supposed to want, starts developing like this almost like rivalry and animosity towards other women. And uh, her friend, Wendy, who is uh, the daughter, the, the family structure that she has is basically a, a mom and a grandma. And so it's like a very female-oriented family, and they're very supportive with each other. And so it's interesting to see how, as uh, Rose grows up, she almost starts uh, losing some of that sisterhood that she feels to other women and just kind of confronting other women because they are in opposition to what she mm -hmm. would have wanted or preferred towards the end you kind of find out that the main reason why the mom is like at uneasy being there is that they ha had been trying to have have a kid and last summer the previous one when she went in into the water she just felt a miscarriage like she just knew that something was wrong and that since then she's been struggling because that was kind of like she was like an older lady and she yeah. like they talk about how they had been doing like ivf and like these things and just knowing that feeling that loss like it's been hard for her to process and it's Absolutely. been hard for her to feel that uh rose's father her partner is where he she needs him to be and that's kind of like the mom's story with the water and fertility. And then at the same mm -hmm. time, Jenny uh, throughout the summer becomes pregnant with Duncan's right. uh, child. And then Duncan is kind of giving her the cold shoulder and like unwilling to help or un, un, you know, unable to process it. And so kind of leaves her on her own. And so in like this moment of desperation, she gets really drunk and goes to confront him and he's, he's a jerk. And then she tries basically to drown herself. And then the mom ends up going into the water to save her. And so, you know, like both these women have this big moment with yeah. like fertility in the water and like all this, these, these recurring elements. And so as the summer ends, I think, uh, you know, Rose kind of gets like a bigger and better understanding of like the women in her life, right? Like that, you know, how easy it was at the beginning of the summer to kind of like judge them i guess maybe is the right word but that later on you know things are are more complex and that sometimes part of growing up is being able to see that other side of things yeah. and not just kind of you know jumping to assumptions um it's it's really really good like i feel like any description is a lot more factual there are panels here that are just 
there are no words and it's just meant for you to observe how like these two kids interact with each other and kind of interact with nature around i think if you are a canadian uh person there are parts of this that feel like undeniable in in the reality around us um Mm -hmm. if people have never been to canada it is very vast and like our cities our big cities are very dense but as a country we are not very dense because there are large large stretches that is basically just like forest and and Mm -hmm. lakes and so on and there are little towns here and there because people go up to vacation but don't really exist there and so this book kind of really does a good job of capturing all of that i think if you wanted to have a good sense of what canadian summers are like and it's interesting too because the this experience of the Canadian summer is tied to a lot of like class dynamics that are not often spoken of, right? Like right. here, uh, when you work in a corporate environment, it is not uncommon for you to have like if you have a Monday off, they often give you the Friday off too because they're like, well, you're going to be driving up to a cottage, and then you know to make the trip worth it. But that is not the reality that everybody here has, and especially yeah. because. As more immigrants have come into Canada, like myself, like other people, um, first of all, the housing has exploded. So the idea of owning one home, let alone a home and a summer cottage, is unrealistic. But then also, you know, like this whole system is almost set up in a way that people often talk about like, oh yeah, you know, we went up to a cottage. So it's, it's just interesting to me, but it, I will, it's undeniable. Even if you are not like I myself and not like the kind of person that is going up every weekend, but I do have friends. Like I I've been there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, mm-hmm. even rented cottages with my family. Um, but it's, it's just like a very Canadian reality. So this book, this book is great. I think it says a lot about growing up. It says a lot about the Canadian experience. It said a lot about like women and, you know, the idea of fertility and like kind of this animosity that is set up by this system that wants to pit women against women. So definitely, well, beautifully drawn, well-written, really recommended. And I finished reading it um, on Wednesday and it was kind of like, she talks about like oh yeah we're going home this weekend because we have to go get uh stuff for school and this this weekend or you know as we're speaking probably before that this comes out school will have started yep. here so it is set Maybe. in a much very similar time that i was as i was reading it so yeah really cool definitely recommended you mentioned uh the the arts just saying uh, just before um i've had a quick google it looks like I don't want to say this in a in a derogatory way because I don't mean that at all. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's it's drawn with with like a biro, like scratchy, but that's no, no, yeah, you know, I'm not seeing something like that, and it's good. I agree. Yes, it is more of like almost like a sketch type of feel to mm. to uh, yeah. a lot of the drawings, but yeah, it, I think it nails it um, for sure. I definitely recommend it. You have uh, definitely. <laughs> in every every month, you bring you bring you bring something more, much more interesting. Uh, interesting to the to the podcast whereas me i uh i've uh, been reading some in- interesting uh, interesting uh, bits of work that have very similar themes but perhaps pre- presented in a bit more of a uh, lowbrow uh, manner i've been reading sex criminals by matt fraction with art by chip zadarsky volumes one and two this might be the the first show where i might need to put some sort of uh content warning on it perhaps because i i'm quite an awkward chap in in real life and 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm making notes here as you know as I as I read through and and such, and so I've tried to decrease the amount of uh, of obscenities as uh, sex criminals are. Uh, present yeah. but uh, i mean it's called sex criminals but, and it's um, about you know, sex and criminals it is so. <laughs> it, it's quite something uh, absolutely not bad i'm going to tell you now would would recommend uh are you familiar with with either matt fraction or chip starsky they have yes, been on the show before fan. um right back at the start near, near the beginning when uh i covered uh, uh matt fraction's hawk guy uh he had a special shout out at the end of shang chi and the credits i was like uh, did he write uh, I didn't uh, Shang-Chi mini that I have not read? I don't know. I was curious, but I did see his name in the credits of the movie. Well, I am a big Matt Fraction fan. I loved his work on Hawkeye, and I love his work on Sex Criminals alongside uh, Chip Zdarsky. Uh, they they, they complement each other very well, and looking at the back matter at the end, they are clearly very good friends. Um, Chip's art is... Uh, you know, it's cartoony, it's it's animated, and I feel like that the tone of Sex Criminals, as you'll see as we uh, work through it, is uh, that complements it perfectly. So, Volume 1, One Weird Trick, collects issues 1 to 5, and was published on the 16th of April 2014 by Image Comics. I continue my Image Comics uh, uh, train after last month's um, Jinx by Brian Michael Bendis. If you haven't listened to that episode, mm-hmm. go back and do it. We are introduced to our two main protagonists, John and Susie, and they are going at it in a bathroom. We see a uh, woman's face. She is using a megaphone to count down, warning uh, John and Susie that she is coming in to get them. Susie then becomes our narrator in a Deadpool fourth wall breaking sort of way. So she's talking directly to us. We learn that when she was a child, her father was a bank teller and that he was killed by a man who lost everything on a stock market crash. We learn that as she was growing up and started to explore her body, that when she orgasms, time stops for a brief period. And being young and not knowing any different, uh, she assumes that this is probably just the case for everyone. So she tries to talk to her mother, she tries to talk to a doctor, both with uh, no success. And so she goes to talk to... A fellow student, Rachel. Uh, Rachel, she chooses as uh, she is known by the other students as being the slut of the school. And um, so she goes to her, thinking she is the most experienced in all things uh, sexual. And we get an interesting number of panels where each one is dedicated to uh, a novel mm-hmm. sexual position. Um, but she's getting nowhere with this learning. And so, you know, she's like, well whatever, um, and just continues to have these time-stopping experiences, continues to think that probably everyone has them too, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually she loses her virginity, and when time stops and she finds her partner completely frozen, um, that she enters this this space, which she calls the quiet, completely alone, and this, you know, is quite upsetting for her, because you know, sex is a, you know, it's between two people. You know, it's a it's a it's a partnership. Well, right. And uh, you know, the fact that only she ends up in the quiet sort of takes the edge off a bit. It's you know, it's lonely. But Susie now lives with Rachel and uh, mm-hmm. also works for a library. And unfortunately, this library right. is being foreclosed by the same bank that her father worked for. Uh, they are throwing a fundraising party, and at this party, Susie meets John, 
the pair of them get on like a house on fire and they end up sleeping together. They both reach their climax and shockingly find out that they both enter the quiet. Uh, the second issue picks up with another glimpse of what's happening in the present day. The woman with the megaphone uh, is revealed to have two compatriots, a, a larger, heavy set man and a, a guy that looks a bit like a ninja. Um, they are dressed in glowing white clothes and the, the whole the little team of them are coming in to get John and Susie. We then start to get some of John's backstory, John now becoming the, the main narrator. He discovered that he could stop time after finding some porn in the woods and uh, this was whilst he was being egged by some bullies. He goes home, uh, enjoys himself and uh, time stops. Um, as well as uh, time stopping, his, his, the end of his penis would start to glow like a, like, a, like a torch. John has less of a romantic name right. for the place he goes when, when, when time stops. As I said, Susie calls it The Quiet. Uh, John, he calls it Come World. This is after a local porn shop. That's porn, P-O-R-N, rather than P-A-W-N. No one is selling... Uh, uh, their their old stuff for money here. This is a sex shop. We also start to learn some of the rules of uh, their time-stopping abilities. Uh, time can stop for an indefinite amount of time, but it will return once they start to uh, think sexual thoughts again. John found this out, unfortunately, by uh, using his ability to enter the physical come world, that is the shop, and after getting turned on by some of the uh, the porn that is around him, uh, you know, eventually he's put back in into uh, motion time and is uh, unsurprisingly forcefully removed. John and Susie, they are head over heels for one another. And at this point, uh, you know, they're spending more and more time together um, as we, the reader, learn more and more about John. Uh, we're learning as Susie is, is learning. Um, so when John lost his virginity, he wasn't able to finish, but on his third attempt he did, and when time stopped, he came to the uh, same realisation that Susie did, that having sex is a pretty lonely experience, but the fact that they can they can both do this, you know, that, that changes the game completely. We also learn what is going on at the present day. The pair have used their powers to rob a bank, and uh, the... The uh, the rest of the book closes the gap between these flashes of the present day and the love story that we are being told between John and Susie. So John works at the bank, the same bank that uh, uh, Susie's father used to work for, the bank that is foreclosing on the library, and he hates his job. John is also a bit of a, a messed up guy, suffering with some uh, more severe mental health issues um, and every day he will use his uh, time stopping abilities um, to use his boss his, his boss's potted plant as his own personal uh, lavatory <laughs> so Susie and John they go on a date yes. to the uh, physical come world where they start to mess around with their their abilities and do whatever they want uh, in the shop and then afterwards they make their way to a bar um, this is where the song Fat Bottom Girls starts to play and so begins a musical number performed by Susie. What makes this a particularly interesting uh, set of panels and, and pages is is that uh, for every speech bubble, 
that would contain the lyrics as uh, Susie is singing is covered by a uh, author's note from Fraction explaining that they couldn't get the rights to use it. It explains, you know, they went to uh, the Queen Estate that they may the uh, the volume was originally designed. They thought they were going to get these uh, lyrics. Um, as you can see, sort of the I guess the outline of the lyrics underneath. Um, but unfortunately, at the last minute, it all fell through. Um, so they, these author's notes are I sort of slapped on the top. It's incredibly creative, whether it's it's true or not. But I have a, a suspicion that that it probably is. But anyway, back at this bank heist, John and Susie they are cornered by what we later learn are the sex police so Susie tackles the larger guy takes his wallet and uh, thus reveals that he's just he's just a normal bus driver these three people you know they're just normal people and they aren't real police although Mm -hmm. you know I don't think I don't really know what they were thinking of of course they're not real police they're wearing glowing white uniforms in a uh, sex-induced time-stopping scenario Um, but as we enter the final yeah. couple of issues of uh, this first volume, we see that John and Susie learn the limits of their power. Learn the, uh, you know, they're testing the limits of their powers, the routines of the people in the bank, how they will pull off this heist. We also learn a bit more about the sex police. The leader of this trio is a woman named Myrtle Spurge, known as to Susie and John as Kegelface. Um, Rachel is becoming a bit concerned about Susie and what she and John are up to and thus calls the police. Uh, Kegelface just so happens to be the one that answers the phone. Uh, this Kegelface, is, she's a family woman who also just happens to work as a receptionist or a call handler or something at the local police precinct. She warns in person Susie and John, who are now in a cafe after a stakeout, that uh, they better start behaving and using their powers I guess responsibly, or just not at all, or there will be consequences. John and Susie are in this cafe because the stakeout hadn't gone quite according to plan as uh, Susie caught John using his boss's plants as a toilet and uh, is unsurprisingly (laughs) a a bit shocked. We learn John has uh, stopped seeing his therapist and that he's off his meds to help manage his mental health issues and thus is trying to uh, self-correct and Speaking from experience, and I'm sure anyone out there that may have mental health issues will probably know trying to self-correct can sometimes lead to uh, disastrous consequences. But time all catches up now. The two, they go ahead with the heist, they get caught by the sex police, and they are placed in the back of a car. Uh, they manage to escape by using a, a sex toy to stimulate the sex police and thus remove them from the quiet Um and so for them, time has stopped, and that's allowing John and Susie to escape. Volume 2, Two Worlds, One Cop, collects issues uh, 6 to 10, was published <laughs> nice on the 25th reference. of February 2015, and uh, picks up just after Volume 1 ends. There's quite a change in the overall tone here, especially in the first half of the volume, but that is absolutely not a complaint. After the more full-on nature of Volume 1, it's quite, I'd say, a pleasant change of face. We also learn more about our uh, two main characters because of this, rather than, you know, Volume 1 is more about the, the actions they are performing. Whereas this, we're really getting an, uh, a deep dive into who John and Susie are. So as I said, we pick up 
uh, where we left off, John and Susie have made it back to their apartment, having moved in together over the course of the first five issues. Uh, they've escaped the sex police, and during their escape, they managed to steal one of the glowing phones that, that uh, they have been using. This phone is now referred to as a compass. <laughs> And highlights whenever someone uses their sex powers. So now they both know that they are not alone uh, in having these abilities together, but they also know that they are being monitored. Life settles down for the couple as they try and move on after their big bank heist. John goes back to work and Susie continues to try and save her library by more legal means. However, John starts seeing members of the sex police everywhere and... As a result, he's, you know, he's, he's now incredibly paranoid and uh, his mental health starts to spiral even lower. And then after realising that the ninja member of the sex police is actually a rink, ba- uh, the uh, rich bank owner, um, there's a sad revelation that the bank is going to move ahead and destroy the library and there is nothing they can do about it. Uh, this is quite a cruel twist of fate for them because they get... John sees uh, the the head of the bank. Um, but when he gets home, Susie has been given a letter saying, we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. here's some sort of finance scheme to allow you to pay back. You know, the, the library is safe. And then the very next day, um, I guess after this uh, head of the bank saw John, that a, you know, a letter is sent saying, actually, we change our mind. The bank is destroyed. Um so he, he, John starts to get more and more reckless in his attempts to uh, self-medicate, the outcome of which is him having a bit of a breakdown and breaking into Kegelface's family home. Inside, he finds a uh, sex dungeon, sex police basement of sorts, uh, and he tries to take as much stuff as he can. Uh, and he also right. must fight his way past the, uh, the mm-hmm. bus driver, sex police officer, in order to escape. He uses... Uh, you know, if you're a fan of uh, Star Wars, you know who Darth Maul is. Uh, you know, he's got a double-ended lightsaber. Imagine two dildos combined at the centre. Um, that's it. That's Just imagine that, because that is exactly uh, what it's like. He gets home, he tells Susie about all this, who herself is in the process of revealing to Rachel about her powers, uh, their friendship, as the, they were diving deeper into this bank robbery has sort of crumbled a bit and they're you know they're getting back together and in the process she's being honest about what is happening so she, yeah he he reveals that you know i broke into a random person's house and this scares susie somewhat and so decides that the pair need a bit of a break until he can uh, sort himself out so Whilst on on this break, Susie meets Robert Rainbow, a gynecologist. Uh, it turns out uh, <laughs> Susie's sex organs are just so perfect. Uh, and so Robert Rainbow, gynecologist, invites all of his medical students to come and look at this absolutely perfect, like, model uh, <laughs> cervix. Um, saying that, you know, he hasn't seen such a cervix ever in his uh, years of practising you know, it's something like uh, the, the plastic dummies that uh, he would have seen and uh, used at mid school. Turns out John also knows Robert Rainbow. Uh, if you remember, John found out about his powers uh, because uh, he uh, um, was getting bullied, right? Yeah, he was getting egged by these bullies. Well, it turns out that 
Robert Rainbow was going to be, you know, he was part of their friendship group. He too was going to go out with them. and He would have ended up being bullied and egged. But after witnessing his uh, parents uh, being involved, uh, using BDSM, he, uh, you know, he's, he's the most mature child I have ever read or experienced. You know, he witnesses his parents uh, doing BDSM. He, you know, he instantly is fine with it, saying... That you know, you you're the only parents out of all my friendship groups where you know you're still together. And if this is what you need to do to stay together, then I am all for it. Um, he then gets uh, sort of bullied by his brother's girlfriend, and that's why he decides to uh, stay in. And therefore, he doesn't go out and get bullied. There, there. Robert Rainbow, John, they you know they go their separate ways. But John now also has a new therapist, telling him to go out and meet more people. <laughs> You know, try and get active, you know, the sort of things you're uh, sort of told to do when you're having mental health issues. Um, and so they all go out together. Rach and Rob become a thing. Uh, Susie and John, they reconcile. And that's just in time, too, as the bank gets demolished right in front of them. This then spurs Susie into action. And they will use that information that John collected to find other people like them and uh, take down the sex police. One of these people is a porn star named Jasmine St. Cocaine. Uh, she is now a professor at a university. Uh, she was also pivotal in, in John's life, as it was porn of her that triggered his uh, sexual awakening. We find out that uh, after an accident, her her sex organs, I guess, are less responsive, and so it's quite difficult for her to uh, orgasm. And So she was quite old... You know, she found that she had uh, sex powers a bit later in life than uh, John and Susie. Uh, and what her... She has, has different sex powers. Uh, instead of uh, stopping time, she can she becomes what can only really be described as some sort of uh, sex ghost. So the trio meet. They just, you know, there's a bit of... Oh, what? Huh? Who, who are you people? But once they, you know, once they start uh, delving into the fact they all have... One, a common enemy, and two, similar sexual abilities. Uh, they they head to a motel and in an amusing series of panels try to trigger simultaneous orgasms from multiple rooms involved texting and like slow down, go faster. And then they all reveal to each other that they don't have the same ability. Uh, the downside of this meeting is that being in close proximity... Uh, you know, three pings on the compass going off at once. Uh, that has drawn the attention of Kegelface, Myrtle Spurge, and the Sex Police. I will say, so that's the end of Volume 2. I wanted to uh, read Volume 3 almost immediately, but um, I couldn't. Waterstones, a, a UK bookshop, I don't know if they have those in uh, in other places. It had Volumes uh, 4 and 6, so I picked those up whilst I was there, but Volume 3... And Volume 5, unavailable to me. And so I had to stop, unfortunately. But you can look forward to more sex criminals in the coming months. I kind of, I mean, yeah, not not to steal in any way your thunder, but it's like I also started the series and enjoyed it. And I have, I want to say six, six volumes there. I think that's it, right? Like, And I just, I think I stopped around three or four just because something came up, like not at any point, but I think I'm gonna uh, reread the the first two because I have enjoyed your your s synopsis, and 
Yeah, I think I'm going to read the, the rest of that. I think I'm going to finish this, too. Well, I'm glad that I have uh, spurred you into action. And, that, uh, and at least, you know, and you're of age. That You know, that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, a warning. Again, you know, if you've made it this far and you're thinking, ah, that sex criminal sounds great to me, but you're, uh, I don't know, 10 years old. One, why are you listening to this? And two, I, I, I don't I don't think you should be uh, reading sex criminals. <laughs> Or you know maybe you don't maybe you don't have to be what people assume is of age and that's probably the mm-hmm. reason why like mm-hmm. Susie and you know they had so much trouble talking about it because we we put it off for too long. Ah well there you go. Uh, <laughs> PhD student reads uh, helping improving the sexual education mm-hmm. around the globe on a monthly basis through the medium of comic books with 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 support from Matt Fraction, Chip Zdarsky, and uh, all creators. I feel like. Both of our, our our books this month have, uh, you know, they've shown different sides of but of the same coin of of growing up, maturing, learning about oneself, and uh, and being and being better for it. <laughs> and just to to cap off the show, it's time for you know some you know we talked about movies, we talked about comic books, and now it's time to talk about ourselves. The the uh, the, the more personal roundup, I. I'm taking a break from my my PhD to to st- start my uh, I mean it's still part of my PhD start start my my uh, teaching based internship so you can expect next month's uh, episode to be uh, visiting teaching assistant reads. It's a bit of a mouthful for the title. Well, I, I can guarantee I, I'm not I'm not going back to change the the RSS feed to to make sure it says that just for uh, three months. That is a considerable amount of effort and that's not enough effort i am willing to put in but you you have a lot of effort to put in uh coming soon as you head to the toronto film festival i am that's next weekend yeah uh for layered butter the magazine that we started and i mean i don't know it's like our first time doing this and like the instructions are so confusing like everybody's trying to figure it out right now actually (laughs) but you know we'll sort it out we'll see what's happening and uh you know we'll see how it goes well i'm I'm sure it'll go very well and you know i trust your your film taste Uh, we talked about films this uh, this morning at the beginning and you know valuable criticism was given to Shang-Chi. Um, but there you go. I think that's it. Pinchy Student Reads episode 19. We did it. We talked a lot. We, we we talked about a lot today. But, you know, you can, listeners out there, you can add two different but similar books to your Amazon wish lists or however it is you keep track of uh, good quality comic books that you should read in the future. I mean, yes, you know, one one was more serious and one was much more lighthearted, but you know, I think it's safe to agree both were handled with 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 skill and were were necessary. Yeah, you know what? Like, here's the thing: a lot both of them were dealing with sexuality in interesting ways, and I think maybe that's a, a big thing that people should take from this. You know, like absolutely. Uh, I think we 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 get confused because we don't talk about these things enough. So good for you, good for you for for pushing through <laughs> the initial awkwardness to deliver uh, great jokes, like uh, and great puns from from your series. Yep. Uh, thank you, Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. You can look forward to more. Come world, come pass, come. Over here, who who knows what uh, what is going to follow in volumes four to six? Well, anyone that's actually read it already will, will know will know 
perfectly well. But, yep, this has been the Pierce Shouldn't Reads, episode 19. I have been Daniel Underwood. Oh, wait, wait, before before you go, you can follow the show on Twitter. Every month, I uh, forget this, follow the show on Twitter, at PhD Reads. Uh, you can like, rate, share, subscribe, share with your friends. Don't forget, it's on Amazon Music now. Don't know anyone that, that uses it, but you can and and should if it's good. You can also go and follow follow Rodrigo at our cockting and follow Layered Butter at, at Layered Butter, I guess. I think on Twitter we are Layered underscore Butter, but everywhere else we are at Layered Butter. There you go. And even if you're not there for uh, film commentator, Toronto Film Festival updates and such, you can go and look at uh, high quality art that you can also buy in, in most <laughs> yeah, cases. Yeah, anything else, you'll be uh, blown away by the art. Uh, but yeah, as I said, this has been uh, PhD Student Reads episode uh, 19. Go, go out there, read comic books, watch films, TV, enjoy yourself. Hell, even read anything. Newspaper. Yeah, just read a book. Read a book. Go and enjoy your lives. I've been Daniel Underwood. That's been Rodrigo Copting. Goodbye. Bye.